Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. This is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of once again making a left turn and finding yourself in a place that nobody can imagine. And it's not Albuquerque. It's so much more interesting than Albuquerque. Oh, yes. There are talking bunnies. Oh, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) This week we are talking about Hardwired Hinterland Edition 2. Those of you who uh, are not familiar with this game, it is a product of TriTac Games. Uh, It's from out of Detroit, Michigan. Uh, This game was promised 40 40 years ago, probably. Wow. (laughs) It was... Yeah, a lot. I mean, it was definitely by the end of the '80s. It was it was slated to come out real soon now, and by Richard Taholka, the guy who was the head of TriTac and the only employee, and with lots and lots of friends who are willing to work for free. Yeah, what, so, what's the term? Cheap cook and bottle washer. Yeah. Yes, indeed, yeah, yeah, indeed, yeah. and yeah, and mm-hmm. and a. And a uh, and a very good one he was. Uh, he managed to uh, put forth many editions of each of his games, uh, receive accolades from uh, many nationally recognized uh, gaming groups, and is a warm spot. Uh, and right now there's like five different Facebook groups that are all uh, associated with TriTac Games and their products, including this one. Anyways, but we are not a house organ for uh, TriTag Games. Uh, we consider ourselves to be independent, though we have a very warm spot in our hearts for many of those games, having played them, when the rest of you guys didn't, because you didn't know about them. What's that term, Trav? Uh, best kept secret in role-playing, yeah. That's right. In gaming was the term you always used. Yeah. Used. It works. Anyways, yes. So uh, a, a company that had all that you thought you would have heard of, but he never advertised. So <laughs> thought that word of mouth would be enough. And uh, of course, anybody who ever went to Gen Con uh, those, and lived in the uh, Michigan, Detroit, Ohio area, what we refer to as the Midwest, okay, would have known many and many of the games that he produced and were had many fans. Uh, let's see, uh, Conclave, Confusion, uh, Early Days of Penguicon. Oh, let's see. Uh... Yeah, but nobody, no, nobody south of the Mason-Dixon line where I live has ever heard of any of those. Oh, no, no. Rich was definitely a, a Midwest boy. That's a given. I'm just saying, if you were in the Detroit area in like the set, uh, 80s and 90s, and you were here in the area where I am now, 
those would be the cons where Rich would have been running those games and also Gen Con and Origins down in um, Columbus. Right, because, you know, uh, TSR was out of uh, a small town just north of Chicago. And so this the entire area was basically uh, the feeder lines of all that gaming. And when pod gaming podcasts started coming out, it's no surprise to me that they also you know spawned out of St. Louis, it seemed to me. It seemed to be the hotbed of uh, gaming podcasts. Uh, but, of course, people... As a podcast, people can be from anywhere. But you know, that same Midwest area has always been the mainstay for these things. So if you're not from any of those places and you decided to say, what is this hardwired hinterland thing? Is this cyberpunk? Is this, you know, because cyberpunk's a big thing right now. It is and it isn't. And we'll be glad to tell you about it. It's anything you want it to be, baby. And we're going to tell you about what is new in this edition. Because if you have bought this edition, the previous edition, or any of the versions that you might have seen, uh, listen to our podcast where we talked about some of the demos that we've done uh, for Hardwired Hinterland, or even the setting of Hardwired Hinterland in other games like Fiasco. Oh yeah, I remember that. Oh, that was great. Oh, I remember that episode. Yeah. Uh, John Ryer ran uh, the Brass Monkey Balls. <laughs> and which was about a, a a a dance called the Brass Monkey Balls, and it took place on an island that was famous for its uh, uh, tourism and cannibalism. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Those are two isms you may not want to mix. Just yeah. Yeah, you don't want to mix them. Okay, and and, and you might want to shoo one for the other. Sounds like fun to me. I don't know what you're talking about. Brute. Fellas, let's get the phrase right. It's a place where he can ha have you over for dinner, or they can have you over for dinner. <laughs> yes, big difference. Phrasing is important. Yes, you can't have you can't have your guest and eat him too. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I if I if I wasn't using my phone, I'd be thrown at the couch. That's enough internet for today. Yeah. Anyways. But anyways, this was promised a long, long time ago, and it always seemed to be on the back burner for Richard. He always had some other game that he was trying to come out. Because, you know, as an unknown game, never, you know, never been created, you know, he had a ready market for Fringeworthy, Bureau 13, and some of the other games that were out there. And he was, you know, trying to produce a whole bunch of other new games you know, and go to conventions. So uh, this was a really, a truly fully-fledged game. Uh, some of his games, you know, they're basically con games. You know, you, you make up a small, interesting game uh, that people are going to play maybe for a short period of time, and, you know, which works really well for modern gamers because they usually don't want to commit to years long gaming sessions, you know, uh, you know, serial gaming sessions. They want something they can do in a month or, you know, two months. Okay. And a lot of the games that Richard produced later in, in his life, uh, were good for that. Okay. But, you know, we, uh, since Trav and I were both heavily involved in producing many of the editions of these other games we're talking about, uh, we can tell you there's a lot of work that goes into it. So, oh yes. Agreed. Yes. I don't know who he did this with because I was not, I mean, until I, he, that thing got plopped down in front of me. Um, you know, a, a couple, uh, you know, like t 10 years ago. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I heard about it, but he just literally would never tell me anything about it. So I 
it was always a mystery. So when I found it, I was, when he finally gave it to me, I was like, okay. And I checked it out and, um, and there's some podcasts on that. So if you want to go back and listen to our original read through and, and experience of these podcasts, we were podcasting at that point. Um, and so we're going to talk about the newest edition that came out. Uh, Richard has passed on now and his wife, Melanie, and a number of people uh, in Detroit have taken up the reins of TriTac Games, now called TriTac LLC. And uh, they produced a new version of the game. Uh, uh, oh, and one of their main contributors is John Ryer, uh, past podcaster on uh, on the show and um, has his own game studio. Uh, he uh, publishes an, um, a number of games through uh, 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 RPG Now and uh, other thing, other places. So uh, anyways, uh, just to bring people up to speed, you know, literally the, the uh, elevate, you know, the, the elevator ride pitch, uh, which one of you wants to, to explain what hardwire hinterland is? Uh, how, can you do it? Uh, uh, JT? I would actually say if Trev can do it, because this is another one. I never saw it um, when it was live, so to speak, when it first came out. It's only when I got my hands on this second edition that I actually saw it. So I think Trev ah. might be a little bit more familiar. Okay. Okay. Um, you could be traveling along anywhere, and you take a sudden left turn, or no, so you take any left turn, and it could lead you to this other place and usually you end up on the shore of some island often fighting for your life because there's a carnivorous squid trying to take your vehicle or come after you from the water and you find yourself in a totally different place with often a totally incongruous um, setting. You could be from modern day Earth and go exploring inland and find yourself in a, a quasi-medieval kingdom. Or you could find yourself in 1920s New York. Or you could find yourself in a massive um, inner ocean with Polynesian islands all throughout it. It is the hardwired hinterland. It is, as you find out, there is no mistake that it is a manufactured place. You find out that you are on a 200 mile across square island, separated in all directions by that much of ocean. And it's an infinite grid. And these are perfectly square islands. And it's as if somebody just scooped a time and a place and plopped it on this island. As you explore the hinterland, you find out that there are, as I said, multiple settings. You could find that Polynesian setting. You could find that medieval setting. You could find 1920s New... Excuse me, 1920s New York. You could find... 1930s Central Ohio. And there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason to how these settings are, are placed, but 
due to the aforementioned carnivorous squids, sea travel is not much of an option. So there are ways that are found out to get from what they, they're not called islands, they're called environs, these 200 mile square islands. And these environs, due to a lucky find on one of them, the hinterland now has a thriving um, inter-environ air trade, mostly from very old planes. Now, very old, I'm meaning probably from anywhere from 50 to 90 years ago. These planes are dated, like DC-3s, like the old cargo cult ones. 1960s, yeah. Okay, well, I, I, I do remember seeing some older versions. I mean, we're talking like, you know, biplanes and stuff like that. But the majority of this inter-environ air trade is through these DC-3s. With some modifications we'll get into later. But yes, this place is unique, to say the least. If there is something out there that you can imagine, it's probably out there in one of those environments. You just have to get on a plane and look. So, yes, this setting... And I'll admit, I wasn't a big fan of it when I first came out. Rich, you know, pitched it to me. And um, and remember, I considered myself his protege. And I'm just like, I don't know about it. And then I started reading that first edition. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm seeing where this is going. And then that's where, you know, my love for it started. But yeah, I, I it was a bit of a hard sell for me. Rich had to explain some things. And then once everything clicked, I was like... I see what you did there, you know. So, yeah, the Hardwired Hinterlands, I can honestly say it is a very unique setting. But in the fact that you could find multiple types of environs with multiple types of uh, settings and, and eras, you know it was made by the creator of Fringeworthy. Just, <laughs> you're like, yeah, this is a Tri-Tech game, all right, yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I told my wife when, when she was asking about it, I said, it's basically... Richard, Uncle Richard made Diesel Punk Adventureland the game. Yeah, yeah, this would be Diesel Punk. Yeah. Oh, no, definitely. If you were looking for what type, although there are other genres, as I said, you just hop to another environ. And if you're looking for the particular setting or culture or time era, with enough time, I'm sure you'll find it. Right. Because each. What, these islands that we're calling environs are called that because each one is a microcosm of the ecology that would be appropriate. So you might have a, an ice, uh, an icy wasteland, what was one called uh, ice cap, right next to a uh, South Sea island paradise, right next to uh, a uh, uh, a dry, dusty old west. Um, environ. There is literally no, you know, there, each thing is separate from each other. And the weather that's, that flows between these environs uh, doesn't actually affect the weather that's on the environ. So uh, it just affects the planes <laughs> that are trying to fly from place to place. Well, I mean, Bruce, I'm pretty sure if you're there on, what do you call it? If you were on ice cap, and you are, I mean, if you fly past it, 
I'm pretty sure you would see a decent snowstorm blow up. If you were on, where's the other one? The Sahara one. I'm pretty sure you would find a massive, how do they pronounce it? A Sirocco, Skirocco sandstorm. Oh, okay. You would see it off in the distance, but only on that island. Exactly. That's my point. My yeah. point is, is that the weather on an island and an environ stays on the environ. And so, you know, you literally have these uh, intersecting um, atmospheric systems that should not do so, and they do. So uh, it, it's one of the things that makes the place interesting in that you, you have such divergence occurring all the time. Uh, likewise, uh, and uh, there is no, uh, uh, these, these go in an infinite distance in all directions, these uh, environs. As you said, it's a, check, it's, a, it's a checkerboard grid, as in like you have each island is 200 miles away from each other island, okay, and each island is 200 miles square. So, yeah, so, you know, you, you basically just have this, you know, like bathroom tile, Kind yeah, of thing, yeah. you know. So, uh, and, and so people could fly from one to the other, and uh, but in order to fly, uh, it, it should be really hard to do that because there's almost no oil. But in fact, is they found an easy solution to that, and what was that, Jonathan? The lightning crystals. Exactly, the lightning crystal, and they find lightning crystals. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they resolve the spelling issues. In this edition, it is a lightning <laughs> crystal. <laughs> and what does it do? Not lightning. Yes, it's not a lightning crystal. Basically, uh, when you to 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 make a long description short, uh, put it in a copper coil housing, throw some electricity on, and anything connected to it that isn't touching the ground loses some weight isn't grounded to the ground it could be sitting on the ground just fine okay but it isn't as long as it doesn't transmit electricity to the ground then it basically loses up to 90 percent of its mass so as a result of uh, planes with very poor engines that literally run off of alcohol which can be easily manufactured from from uh, sugars and things like that can now fly. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to be a good plane. You you can literally strap wings onto a VW microbus and fly that puppy into the air. We don't suggest it, but you could. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and most of these planes are designed, of course, for the weight that they're supposed to have. So when you take so compared to their weight, they have enormous lifting surfaces. So you only have to be going about 20 miles an hour before you have, you're up off the ground. And a lot of times people literally just come down and practically pancake on into almost, you know, onto a very short runway because when they, you know, they, they, they just simply have to, you know, put their flaps up and it slows them so way down and they could just plop right down because they weigh almost nothing. Until, of course, you load them up. Of course, you, you know, a, a DC-3 is, has a lot of cargo room and you can carry a lot of cargo. So I'm not, as, I'm not saying that, you know, a big DC-3 fully loaded with, you know, uh, uh, barrels of, uh, 
uh, of coffee or something like that is not is going to weigh enough for you to throw up in the air with your hand. But when we were doing the podcast, we did say that it'd be very easy for human beings to build backpacks with lightning crystals that would allow them to literally do jumps much along the lines of, uh, uh, of Buck Rogers. Because if you can reduce your weight by 90%, that means you can jump nine times as far as you would normally. And if you can normally jump, let's say, five feet, now you can make a 45-foot jump. All you have to do is make sure you got good, you know, good waders where you're not transmitting any electricity to the ground and grounding yourself out. Because if you do that, all of a sudden your, your, your weight comes back very quickly and you're going to go crashing to the ground. But, yeah, and you could also pick up a lot of for momentum by doing that as well, you know, because you're, you know, basically just hitting the ground and kicking off again and you still, but anyways, that's where that whole question that came up was mass versus weight. And they did not resolve that in this edition. So, you know, the idea is, is that you're not supposed to crash and burn every time you do one of these things. So just take that as red for those of you who are not into, you know, the math. <laughs> So each of these environs, people drop into them. They basically, they make that left turn and they end up on, uh, usually on the outer banks of an environ. And usually it's one that is appropriate to them. Something appropriate to their dreams, their needs, their, their past history. So you don't always have, you know, have a lot of people showing up uh, in the 20th century in a medieval kingdom. More likely, you're going to find yourself showing up someplace that has somewhere in the neighborhood of 20th century technology. So at which point you can then decide, well, I really had enough of 20th century. I do want to go to a magical kingdom and find your way there somehow. But if you were somebody who, for example, made that left turn uh, in the 1400s, and found yourself in the Hardwell hinterland in the present, I'm making air quotes, now, you know, the same world world everyone else is in, then uh, you might find yourself in a uh, more of a, a place where the technology level is lower, where you wouldn't find yourself at a disadvantage, and you wouldn't have to try to get yourself relocated. But people can show up wherever the GM wants them to show up. So, and because there's so much variety, then it makes for a lot of colorful characters. People who, you know, if they don't want to believe in modern technology, they don't have to. <laughs> because they can find a place where nobody uses that. And if you want to be a, a very devout, uh, you know, religious person who eschews, uh, wants to be more insular, you can find a place for that too. Uh, there are literally an infinite number of environs, and within the uh, known environs, the known world, there's like 25, and that's a lot. And so basically, it's like if you were playing a space game and you had 25 worlds to go to, you'd probably be pretty busy with what you had. Well, here's the thing about being busy and having a lot to explore, and this is a benefit of coming to the hardwired hinterland. It seems that one of the 
major things about the hinterland is being there is good for you because when people drop in, they often find out that injuries heal, diseases heal, and you start getting younger. Uh, there is... But there's an offset with that, is that, well, also a, a, a large number of drop-ins are children for humans, those under 18. And a lot of that counters with the fact that, uh, let's see, one birth per 500 normal Earth births. So there seems to be a... I guess you would call it a forced sterility. So children are precious in the hinterlands and they are doted upon and often taken in by families who have been there for a while. And with the aging block, or actually their aging reversion, uh, let's see, 25 seems to be the, let's say you drop in and you're a nine-year-old boy. You're going to age all the way up to 25 and then stop there. You will be until, through misadventure or accident, perpetually at the age of 25. Now, if you are older, you're going to revert back to a younger age. I mean, you're not going to go all the way back to 25. If, let's say, right now, let's say I were to drop in there. I'm not quite 52 yet. I would revert back to the body of a 30-year-old. Wait a minute. That's a heck of a gig. I, I was tight when I was 30. Damn. Wait a minute. I like um, Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. See? see yeah. See what, see what they did there. So, yeah. Um, obviously, if you're 86 or older, you're still going to revert back to a 45-year-old person, the physical body and structure. And you're going to be a very, very healthy 45-year-old. Oh, yeah. yeah um, there is, like, no disease no disease worse than a fever? Yeah, or you might get a scraped knee. Or, I mean, if you do get injured through, as I said, accident or misadventure. Obviously, if you get in a plane... Well, here's the thing. Yeah, let's say you're on one of these DC-3s. And you know how that old saying is? Any, any uh, landing you can walk away from is a good one? Let's just say you have to limp away because, well... Below the knee is no more. That leg will grow back in months. So there is an active regenerative quality about the hinterland that, yeah, um, wounds don't infect. So, I mean, if you clean and stitch up a gunshot wound, it'll heal in a couple days. Uh, it'll begin to clot within an hour. Um Birth defects heal, bones knit in weeks. So, I mean, yeah, there is something actively going on that is regenerating the inhabitants of the hinterland. Uh, any, any bad teeth fall out and, and, and regrow. Uh, eyesight becomes, you know, perfect. Yeah. And I assume that it's, it, uh, it also cures your dandruff. Yeah, but, you know, like the, like the fringe pads, <laughs> it does not... Get rid of the effects of a hangover. Just, yeah. Yeah. No, no. you, But you won't die yeah. from it. 
<laughs> you earned that. Unless you really, really try hard. So, yeah. So it's you know it's it's a great place to be because of your. You're gonna, you know, you can have as much adventure as you want, uh, and if your character finally at some point decides they want to settle down and live the, live a more quiet life, they can do that too. So GMs can basically you know, tailor their adventures to what their players want to do. If their players have an interest in technology, there are futuristic, you know, horror worlds of of of. Uh, uh, of robots and and killer mutants and things like that, they can go to to find technology and and trick themselves out into uh, uh, cyberpunkish type things. So yes, that hardwired is still there, but they're still uh, but they want to go completely toward the uh, uh, the uh, the more fantasy aspect. They can e they can get themselves adopted by a uh, an, an entire pod of intelligent leopards because uh uh jonathan tell us about animals with a capital a yes in the hardwired hinterlands you have animals with the lowercase a which are like everything you see around dogs cats chickens and then you have animals with the capital a which means they're smart about as smart as a human and probably talking and can do have all the same mental faculties as any other human. It's just a cat. I think with the one phrase I saw in there that made me laugh is phrasing is very important in the hinterlands. If, if you say there's a bear in the trash, well, he's probably just looking for, you know, some leftover food, small lowercase bear, Yeah, lowercase bear. But if you're looking for, if there's a uppercase bear in the trash, He's probably down on his luck and could use a sandwich and a coffee. And maybe you should go out and uh, invite him in after he, after he does a few chores. Yeah. Maybe you can convince him to do some yard work for you. Right. So, you know, much like, you know, uh, Shades of Oz, uh, you will run into lots and lots of animals with a capital A that can talk to you. So it, it, it's uh, uh, sometimes you have to be careful about what you say because you can be overheard by the local livestock <laughs> who uh, may be intelligent or may not, or maybe they're acting like they're not intelligent because they're trying to get the lowdown. Because, you know, there's good and bad people in the hinterland. You know, there's lots of robbers that want to, like, you know, uh, rob a bank or rob a building or something like that, and they would think nothing about riding a horse with a capital A into, uh, uh, into town. And that horse will stand around and pay attention to everybody coming and going, check out all the security measures, things like that. Then later on, he comes back, collects his horse, goes back, and then they have a big powwow as to how they're going to take down the, uh, uh, get into that bank vault or that um, strong box or whatever it is the next evening, you know, with the rest of the crew. They're not always just intelligent animals that can talk. Some of them actually are like goofy you know, from uh, Disney, where they are humanoid. They have some animalistic features, but they have hands. You know, they they wear clothes. They walk around and do all kinds of things. So uh, it, anything in between is possible. As a matter of fact, almost anything is possible in the hardwired innerland, which is one of the reasons why it can be challenging, but at the same time, so 
ready to let you do what you want to do as a GM. So anyway, so we gave it a big rousing speech about how you all should go out and buy this game and you should do this. And and I don't want to go over the things that we, th and it is a systemless game. It's it's more of a, uh, more of a setting. Um, it's uh, it it tells you a few it tells you how things work, but it doesn't give you game rules about how to do that. So if you want to use D20 Modern or just regular D20 or Pathfinder or Cyberpunk or GURPS or any you know Savage Worlds, whatever you're most comfortable with, the, it, you just you're add you just basically play that in the system that you're happy with, and it will be fine. Uh, because the descriptions are all like, this is hard, this person's really smart, you know, these are the things that they can do, and it's up to the GM to basically do the translation into your favorite system. So, so it should be uh, a game that easily, you know, fits into your gaming repertoire in your gaming notebook. So we, we, we give it a hearty recommendation for everybody to go out and get it. If you have never played it or you've never bought it, then I, we do recommend it highly. Uh, it's uh, about 200 pages of solid material. And uh, in some cases, it. Uh, now, we're, I'm going to start talking about the new edition. In the old editions, in some places, it was a little sketchy. In some places, it seemed like Richard really loved this particular aspect of the game, and so he really put a lot of detail into it, but kind of skimped on others. So I want to say that in this new edition that we've looked over, a lot of that has been addressed. Okay, um, I think that the the uh, ordering of the game, uh, of the various sections, is much better than it was before. Uh, I gave a lot of feedback after the last edition, all of us did, and they seemed to really take it to heart, especially because John Ryer was uh, part of the development team, so and he was also in agreement with us because we were doing. He was part of our podcast. So you could definitely see his hand involved in it. So we want to say that it's much better laid out than the original. Um, there's a lot more information that seems to be more germane to people who are trying to play the game versus saying this is, this is the way you should be playing this game and so here's all this extra information that you're going to need. Because believe me, when I ran my Howard Wire Hinterland campaign, we didn't do anything like what was the considered standard way of doing it. Because when you get together, most of the time, you know, you're, uh, you're a very eclectic group. And so the only thing that's really true is, is that unless you have a lot of money, you're probably going, and you need, or you need to bring in an NPC pilot. You're probably going to one person at least to know how to fly a plane, and uh, but your game system may make it very easy to do that, either to learn how to do that or to start your character off as someone who already knows how to fly, and uh, and since flying is so easy, considering the fact that you know you're you're in planes that literally could be made out of styrofoam, uh, considering their weight. It's not that hard unless you get into a bad weather situation to be able to be successful as a pilot, uh, especially. And even if you didn't want to do that, there are people that you could buy passage from one environ to another. 
people, you can hire people to take you places. So even, you don't even have to have a pilot under those circumstances. So I, I just wanted to warn you that, that even though uh, air, airplanes are the way to go from one place to another, and the reason for that is, Trav? Uh, well, again, sea travel's not an option because you have carnivorous whales and squid. There's only a few vessels that could actually travel from environ to environ due to the extremely aggressive behavior of these large groups of very large animals. So it's uh, so flying planes is the way is the way it's done. All right, um, and it could be, and it doesn't have to be a plane. It could be a dirigible, by the way. Uh, there's plenty of helium in the hardwire hinterland. Yes. So much helium. The middle of every environ has a big titanium pipe that just blasts tons of it out every day. So, you know, people fill it up um, and use it, you know, to, for airships. And some people even cap it off and use the pressure of the helium to drive industry. So it's... Uh, it, it, it's it, and and there's also uh, uh, power points that uh, that have electricity uh, running between them uh, that you could use as your own personal generator stations. Sometimes there's only one per environ. Sometimes there's multiples. Generally, wherever there's a power point, there's always a power point next to the uh, the helium vent. Okay, it's always due south if if we will use that term. Uh, that's how they do it. They basically say this, you know, uh, electricity is south. It's a direction. Electricity is a direction because it's south. And then helium is north. Okay. And then you have left and right. So you have these uh, these, these maps and it, you, you see a symbol for the helium molecule. You have a, uh, the lightning bolt symbol and then you have L and R. And those are the directions for going different places in the hinterland. Towns tend to develop next to power points. So anytime you go to a, a particular uh, environ, uh, you'll find towns usually next to those. Uh, even if they are more you know, medieval or whatever, because there's no reason why you can't have a, a medieval town that still has uh, electric street lamps. There's you know, no reason at all. And if you've ever watched the uh, some of the movies that came out from New Moon uh, Entertainment, Called, one of them was called Oblivion, not the uh, 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 not the Bethesda role playing game, but the uh, it was a it was a um, took place on an alien planet, and they basically they were all it was a western. They had a uh, they had a, a sheriff, they had a deputy that was a robot, uh, they had people uh, wandering about doing various things, you know, general store, saloon, the whole deal, just like you'd find in uh, uh, almost Texas, which is an environ in Harlow Inter. But it doesn't mean they don't have electricity. They had electricity back in those days anyways. Uh, they had telegraph, they had uh, some electric lighting, though gas was more likely. So I'm just saying is that the uh, electricity is common. So uh, there's plenty of that. Uh, I, I've forgotten why I got on that. Um, but anyways, oh, I was talking about the helium. Um, all right, so yeah, you could have dirigibles. And so, you, I mean, I, if you wanted to, you if you could get your hands on enough plastic material to make yourself a balloon, which isn't that hard to do, then you could basically just balloon your way 
across the hinterland and you know t dropping down onto uh, an environ whenever you thought it was interesting and then getting more helium to get you back up in the air and you put the weights back on your on your craft on your basket and then go to the next environ as the wind would blow you so anything's possible wide open okay so anyways uh, so the the layout is good um, and what they've done is is that they have expanded some of the background a lot more and they've also gone and for every one of these core environs they have reworked them so they all are uniform and how they're laid out they talk about the things that are the places that are of interest and they even have what they call the most interesting person on the environ which is essentially the lead into an adventure so you have essentially almost 25 adventures in this new edition before there was really only two they did they talked about a few things that were on various places you know a, a different places of interest but there wasn't a sense that you could just hit the ground and start running an adventure because you thought you wanted to do something on the environ now every environ has something that your players could do if you know and of course if they're not interested in doing that then you could take them to another environ where they are but the point is is that you now have a lot more information about how to run adventures interesting people i mean if you take all of the interesting people that are listed uh plus a couple of people that are just saying things who describe themselves you have a a large rogues gallery and a large cast of supporting characters that will really help you play in this new world. It's a big improvement over the previous edition. Uh, what used to be one page, literally one page per environ, is now five, six, seven pages in some cases, depending upon how how loquacious the uh, the writer was. Uh, John Ryer wrote some of the adventures. Melody wrote some. Uh, basically, all the people that, uh, in, in TriTac uh, all took their hand in it. Uh, at the beginning of the game, if you have had this game before, they have a second edition expansion section where they're all listed out. Jonathan, it's on page uh, uh, four in, in Roman numerals. Why don't you uh, read out what you actually get out of this in the expanded edition all right here we go so in this edition on page four ah. okay so yeah you've got melody uh natural who did the new and expanded environs uh sally vick uh vilkman did the new scenarios john ryer yeah ice cap mountain meadow sahara grunlog old forest halcyon seaside mundakarama i think i pronounced that right lizard woods kaiju Kaiju Islands. Go go fight Godzilla. Nowhere else. Uh, some e extra little local pieces. The Grep. Uh, the Kelp Rafts. The Manavines. The Pillowfloss. And then you have Sally Vilkman who did uh, scenarios for New Akron, New Brasilia, New Pittsburgh, Tuva Magicost, Little Kiev, John Ryer. Bruno's Vineyards. Yeah, Bruno's Vineyards, Arkansas, and Noram. And then John Ryer did Almost Canada, Ansem's Kingdom, New Old New York, which broke my brain the first time I read that. Little Texas, Etta Wongo, uh, and then the Oil Pods, 
the revamp of the flight mechanics, the Pig and a Pokey expansion, and then Ed Natcher, who did the Hinterland Inquirer pages, the Sports Aviated, Jopular Mechanics, <laughs> the Scrounger, the Aerodromes, and Gardens, and the Pig and a Pokey expansion. It sounded like Ed Natcher did all the uh, magazine covers that are in this. That was yeah. Ed's doing. Yeah. The, yeah, the, the interlude pages. And, of course, the, the second half of that page is all about Uncle Richard. If you counted them up, these are, you know, most, almost all of the environs were touched. As a matter of fact, I would say all the environs were touched in some way. They were enhanced in some way, either with new characters, uh, either with uh, an adventure, or uh, just, you know, cleaned up some of the, the, the information that was... Um, that was not there and referencing each other a lot more because, you know, people fly from environ to environ. So therefore it's not uncommon to hear about people being in one place and then coming there and doing something. And if you, in order for you to complete the adventure, it would not be at all uncommon for you to have to travel to many environs to finish up whatever it is you're trying to do instead of it just being right here, this one little thing. But if that's what your players want to do, then I'm sure that, that the GM can come up, can, can use the existing places of interest and, and the descriptions to do just that. But I just wanted to show that it wasn't just them putting on a new cover adding a few weapons, um, you know, maybe adding a couple new adventure, a couple adventures in the bag, but pretty much leaving it exactly the way it was, which has been a case for some of the earlier TriTac editions of the games. You know, I mean, Richard was earning a living. <laughs> so, you know, it takes time to do these things. So it was very incremental. This is actually a very, I would consider a very substantial uh, second edition over the first. Oh yes, agree. Pretty much a, a lot more. Um, it's more like if you know Fringe Warrior, it's more like you went from the first edition stapled version that came out in 1983 to the 1992 edition. That is the amount of difference I'm talking about. So there, because I, I don't have a page count for the original one. I didn't look at that, uh, but the this this thing has 200 and 39 pages and almost all of it is material it isn't just charts and and uh uh pilot logs and uh, uh manifest cargo manifest he had all that kind of thing in the previous editions and by the way if you if those things are you know those aren't in this edition so if you they're either either you could ask for them for tritech to put them up on their website or if you had the earlier edition you could get those off of that book you know, it was just funny, fla pretty flavor text that Richard was really good at cranking out, but it really didn't add to the game. So I'm telling you, you're getting a lot more value. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast.
Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.